Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cricket with an Accent. This is Saqib hosting the show once again. And uh, uh, due to COVID, uh, our frequency in these podcasts is getting more consistent. If uh, we have been a little inconsistent in the past, I apologize. But the guests are also piling up, and I'm kind of keeping good company. So today's guest is, again, a very known name if you read uh, Crick Info. Uh, Samir Chopra, uh, who teaches uh, philosophy at the Brooklyn University in New York, Brooklyn College but uh, has been delighting us with his uh, columns at Crick Info for over a decade, has written a few books, uh, fan at heart, but an academic in his cricket views. So let's make this podcast even richer by welcoming Samir to the show. Hey, Samir, how are you? Hi, Sagib. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, while we were prepping for the show, we realized we both have a lot of common roots, you know, Indians from New Delhi, and now he's called United States as home for longer than I have. And uh, there's obviously the common bond, like, you know, his writing and I'm a fan who will help him unpack some of his, uh, you know, memories of uh, cricket. So, Samir, before we, uh, you know, unpack uh, with your help, the India-Pakistan rivalry, which is the topic today, just a little background, even though most of these listeners know you, how did you get into cricket and what has been your journey uh, professionally and how did cricket keep you engaged? Um, That's a... I think answering that question fully would uh, require almost providing an entire autobiography. So I'll try to keep this as short as possible. Uh, I grew up in Delhi in the 1970s. And I think my first um, memory of cricket really is international cricket of the West Indies, visiting India in the 1970s and coming into contact with names like Bill Richards and Clive Lloyd. and, and And then a little later, I think, getting one kind of introduction to cricket, which was Tony Gregg's team visiting in 76. And so sort of coming into contact with cricket through these gigantic international presences in my life, which were larger than life, very glamorous, that promised access to a world that, you know, lay beyond India's borders and was, you know, opened the horizons of one's mind when you watched a test match. So there was something very, you know, um, quite mind-expanding about coming into cricket in those days. And I think that sense has always stayed with me about cricket, especially with international cricket. Um, yeah, and then I, you know, grew up in the Delhi of the 70s, the 80s, uh, you know, the rich domestic rivalries with, uh, you know, with Bombay in Ranji Trophy, the great international rivalries. Um, I was in Delhi when India won the World Cup in 1983, when an entirely different sense of Indian cricket became possible. Um but then I migrated, you know, to the States in 87. I came here for grad school. I followed cricket through the internet. I wrote online in cricket news groups. I wrote extensively online and then um, started blogging online. And that became um, one way of relating to cricket. Uh, and I followed cricket in all its ways, you know, internet relay chats, cricket news groups, live telecasts, live sal- satellite televisions, live streaming on the net. Uh, so my experience of cricket has been both this having this childhood experience of cricket, having it been a formative sense of me and then becoming part of my nostalgic look back at my home and also developing a new sense of my identity as I've stayed on in the States and, you know, um, written about cricket and reflected on it and, you know, uh, reflected on its place in my life and come to understand it, you know, or come to, you know, understand it through many different ways, uh, not just in the ways that I understood it when I was a kid. Um, yeah, and uh, talking out here on this podcast, uh, you know, with you, a fellow Indian 
member of the diaspora who's had you know some kinds of similar experiences i'm sure in terms of relating to the game both in terms of growing up and in terms of experiencing the game differently maybe because you had access to the game first through television as 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 opposed to me having it having exposure first through radio commentary uh but now you know being in the states together and now being able to look back on the game um yes i think that's another aspect of my experience of cricket which is sharing cricket people with those people who are live outside of india and experience cricket from this vantage point no absolutely and that's quite the uh, quite the journey right there and uh, like you rightfully said i'm maybe uh, from a next generation and my first exposure to cricket was uh, when west indies came after losing the world cup final uh, then came and you know wrecked havoc and my I... first memory is marshall bowling to four slips or what not and indian batsmen you know struggling in that series Right. So that's that that could be another podcast another day because those West Indies teams are you know the folklore teams you know for today's generation they read about them but there was such a different group. Sure. So uh, I I invited you here because we have India Pakistan in mind and uh, you you've seen some of the best series unfold. So uh, let's talk about the rivalry because some of my American friends also tune into this sport and we both have lived in the states uh, and I'm sure at workplace or in morning coffee when someone's talking you know what an intensity is between celtics and lakers or yankees and red sox i'm sure most indians have at some point or not we speak the same cricket language so we bring up oh dude you don't know what that rivalry is so yeah. as a fan who watch who, who listen to the radio waves you know back in the day how do you remember the india pakistan rivalry and uh, what is it where does it fit in the world of sport in terms of intensity and the kind of unique aspect this rivalry has just uh, unpack that for someone who who may not know uh i think that's a great question sagar because when you talk about a sporting rivalry it's worth remembering that a sporting rivalry has many dimensions and many facets to it so uh you know if you think about the sporting rivalry that exists between say you know soccer clubs like you know celtics and rangers um or you know you think about american uh, professional franchises like the yankees and red sox uh, or you think about international rivalries like say um england germany in soccer or india pakistan in cricket or you know they have different edges to them because they have different sorts of histories and people emphasize different aspects of them and i think one thing that makes the india pakistan rivalry as unique as it is is that it has a particular kind of history that gets invoked in it that leads to a particular kind of way of understanding the games so i think when yankees red sox fans go to the games they believe in their teams with as much intensity they express themselves with as much fervor they you know they might even you know take the same attitude you know when they get on the you know when they lose a game that it's you know the way they experience it but i think there's a sense in which india pakistan fans conceive of the game the way they you know the way they interpret it the way they understand it that has a very interesting edge and i think you know i think some some very fundamental aspects of people's identity get center for contestation in these games um you know just because of the rivalry that it has uh you know or just because of the historical uh, dimension that it has you know the you know the partition the wars the the ways in which nationalist discourse calls upon cricket or you know cricketing discourse calls upon 
nationalist language in you know in our in our rivalry you know it it gives that a very particular kind of edge or you know people will use results on the field to make certain kinds of claims and they will use certain kinds of results off the field to make certain kinds of cricketing claims and i think that's i mean i think that happens in all rivalries and i think because the india pakistan rivalry is as unique as it is and i think because indians in this particular game are you know bring to it you know this very dynamic passion which is you know flows from the history of cricket in india it makes this rivalry very very i think um, you know gives it this this dimension of passion and i think i don't know the right phrase is to capture this unique edge i think it's the combination of historical sort of longing that you're looking to see something resolved when you go to the cricket field some sort of some sort of issue that needs to be settled and you're not even quite sure what it is uh, you know sometimes it might be quite explicit as you know when you conceive of what happens in the field as a war but there's just something some sort of issue that needs resolving and i think that that sort of subconscious sort of i think longing that people bring to these encounters is very unique in india pakistan games okay so that's uh, let's use your first series as a fan when you were listening on radio uh, how did you consume it then and if you look back at that experience what do you still recall what stood out from that experience following that first series well i think the funny thing is that you mentioned watching it i mean uh, listening to it on the radio and i think the amazing thing about that series was that that was the first series that i watched um, on a on a live telecast and i think it had a sort of unforgettable impact on me because you know pakistan's team was you know very nondescript in the sense that i had heard of them i had seen photographs i knew of their results but somehow they hadn't fully penetrated my consciousness and then all of a sudden on the first day of the faslabad test match you know i could see these names and suddenly i could put you know live moving action figures to these guys whose names had only been in scorecards before and you know on on the very first day of the test match at faslabad uh you know uh zahir abbas scored a century and he went on to make 176 in the first innings and and 96 in the second innings and you know he was immediately off to this prolific start and you know the first test match typically for india pakistan games was a high scoring draw uh pakistan made a bunch of runs india made a bunch of runs uh you know but there was this sense in which these this encounter was taking place 7 years after the 71 war had ended which you know when you think about for how long you know india pakistan cricketing relationships have been disturbed now it almost seems like a miracle that india and pakistan were playing cricket in 1978 i mean 7 years after the war ended and you know here we were you know they almost sort of squared off against each other cautiously you know the run scoring was heavy and then in the second test match we had this dramatic finish because you know sahir again scored dramatically heavily you know he scored 235 uh pakistan put india into bat on the you know and they they dismissed india on the very first day of the of the test match at lahore for 199 and you know pakistan racked on a huge lead uh, everybody made runs but sahir made 235 and i remember watching so much of that innings you know live back in india you know during the i think it was you know during the dashera break it was during the you know during the october uh, holidays beautiful sunshine back at home watching the live telecast 
you know, Zaheer batting with that, you know, with that Panama hat, you know, with this, you know, with this white handkerchief tied around his neck and just this very glamorous, dashing figure playing these beautiful cover drives. And, you know, we were just like, we were this Indian family of, you know, of cricket fans who obviously wanted the Indian cricket team to win. But, you know, Zaheer was just such a dashing and amazingly stylish batsman that you were just like, all right, well, I'm just going to watch some amazing batting instead. And, um, you know, you almost were just so enthralled by the spectacle because this was, you know, I think this was a brand of cricket that as a very impressionable 11 year old, I was very taken up, you know, taken by, you know, all this, you know, Pakistan's fast bowlers, you know, stylish batsmen, very attacking cricket. You know, the idea of putting in a team to bat on the first day of the test match when you had won the toss struck me as, you know, very attacking cricket. Um, you know, they were... And then, you know, Pakistan won in style because India fought bravely. They, you know, they overcame Pakistan's lead. They took the game all the way into the fifth day, late, you know, in, in, into the post tea session on the fifth day. Um, and Pakistan needed something like, you know, 126 runs to win. And they would have had to score at, you know, something like five or six runs and over um, to make it. And they made it. You know, they they went after the runs. You know, they, they ran quick singles. They hit a bunch of shots. And, you know, they, they chased the runs and they won by eight wickets. And, so, and this was a series, right? When Kapil Dev made his debut? That's right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Kapil Dev made his debut. Bishan Singh Bedi was the captain. Um, India had Gavaskar, Vishwanath, Bengsakar, um, you know, the spinners and you know uh, uh, historians of the game in India of the Test game would say that this series marked the end of the of the spin quartet. You know they were they were scored very heavily off by the Pakistani batsmen, and all of them you know can mark their sort of their decline in in Test cricketing terms from this from this series onwards. Um, you know. Venkat was still playing, you know, like a year later. You know, he would, in fact, he became captain of India in 1979. Uh, but, you know, there was a sense in which the decline of the spin quartet is often marked from this series. And part of it was, you know, someone like Zaheer scoring as heavily as he did, uh, you know, off the Indian attack. And then, you know, Pakistan won in similar fashion in the third test match. You know, they, they uh, India batted first. Uh, Pakistan had to score these runs on the last day of the, the, of the test match. In fact, they had to score at almost seven runs and over. And uh, Asif Iqbal and Javed Miyanda, they ran these amazing suicidal singles. You know, they exploited, uh, you know, a lack of Indian fielding skills maybe, but they were also very, very alert and incredible runners between the wickets. And most importantly, I think they desperately wanted to win. You know, they wanted to win. They wanted to go for the test match. They wanted to go for a 2-0 win. You know, they could have hung on to a 1-0 lead and just, like, drawn the test match. But, you know, they went for a win. And so I think that, I think that style of playing the game, the, you know, the, the aggression, the, the, you know, the, the positive intent, I think that made a very powerful impression on me as a, you know, as an 11-year-old fan of the game. I think for many years, I think, you know, Pakistan, I felt like I sort of set the template for how you should play cricket. You know, you know, try and seize the initiative early, um, you know, get into a place from where you can, you know, take lead and, you know, establish a winning position. And if you're ever put into a place where you have to chase a win, well, then you should go for the win. Uh, and, you know, there's a sense in which, you know, this is perhaps, 
you know, it was a, it was a, it's a simplistic model and it needs obviously, you know, refinement, you know, according to conditions and circumstances and so on and so forth. But there was a spirit that, you know, Pakistan showed in the series that was, you know, really admirable. And I thought, you know, made it a very, you know, sort of what I would say, uh, outstanding, <laughs> uh, you know, outstanding is a sort of a cliche, um, sort of memorable introduction to test cricket, um, you know, when viewed on live television, you know, I mean, that, I think that was a genuine innovation in my understanding of cricket at the time. Yeah, it's just, uh, it's remarkable how, you know, you remember all that and how you consume test cricket uh, today. You know, we live in a very different era where we can watch, you know, live cricket. Of course, right now there's no live cricket, but we right. can we have so many apps, you know, nobody can miss a moment if you are at work. You can subscribe to ESPN or you have a Velo account. So those are different days. But in your answer, you in your response, you said something that I think was very much evident when I start, when I was watching cricket in the early to late 80s and Javed Miyadad's ability to take singles, running between the wickets. He was seen as one of the best judges, you know, for running between the wickets, how he could take singles and how he read the game. And then yeah. Pakistan's... Uh, uh, never say die attitude, and that was very evident against India in the you know middle to late eighties. Yeah. Uh, I think him and Asif Iqbal, that Pakistani team, uh, you know, they uh, made you realize that the the quick single could actually be this attacking move because not only did it get you a run on the board, it it rattled the fielders, it potentially you know irritated the bowlers and the captain because it was. It was leaking runs while also exposing, you know, this sort of, it could induce this panic in the opposing side, which I think to a certain extent it did when they were chasing, um, you know, against India at Karachi. And I actually saw at the university level, many, you know, uh, folks who would play at the university level, you know, I think who in many ways were inspired by that memory of, you know, Miyandad being this, you know, this guy who could take these cheeky singles and with that, induced panic in the ranks of the fielding team. Hmm. So let's move this forward to the 82-83 series, which is the most talked about series before I started watching cricket. When mm-hmm. Iran took 40 wickets and Mohinder Banat, I think, was a lead scorer. Gavaskar had, I think, a couple of hundreds too in that series. So what That's do you remember right. of that series? And what do you, let's talk about in two realms. One, the series itself, the dominance of Imran, and then right. the run-making ability of Jimmy Amarnath. I mean, sometimes our current fans don't understand, you know, what kind of a a player he was with an average of 42. You really marveled at playing fast bowling. So uh, unpack, you know, those two in, in any order you want. Imran in that series and then Jimmy Amarnath. Uh, okay, well, I think uh, that's a great juxtaposition because uh, that series featured, you know, Imran at uh, probably, you know, the peak of his powers, you know, in those, in those I would say in those two or three years uh, from 81 to 83, 84, you know, Iran's bowling, I think, was really at its peak. And in this series, you saw him bowling, you know, on wickets that were not at all helpful. But he was, um, you know, he still took 40 wickets. Uh, he obviously contributed hugely to, you know, to, in, to Pakistan's three wins in the series. Uh, the first test match was drawn. Pakistan then went, uh, I think, I think they won three straight test matches. And, and then the last two test matches were drawn. And I would actually say that the six test matches was a case of, you know, one too many by the, by the end of it. I think the players were exhausted. The fans were exhausted. Um, you know, uh, but in those games, you know, India India drew the first test match, you know, in Lahore. It was badly affected by the rain and so on and so forth. And then from the second test match onwards, you know, these 
two, I think, very dramatic results that I think people really remember. You know, one is, um, you know, I think December 85th, uh, 1982, which I think I remember because I think I think it was I think it was Christmas Day or Christmas Eve because I remember it was uh, Muhammad Ali Jinnah's birthday. And uh, I think India had set out, I think in their second innings, late in the evening, post the, and they were chasing Pakistan's huge first innings lead after, you know, India India had uh, been bowled out cheaply on the first day and then Pakistan had racked up a huge lead. And I walked to a friend's party that he was having and you know, the, in those days, people used to listen to uh, pe- people used to watch television in the evenings. You know, with their doors open and their volume turned on quite high. So, in fact, as I walked to my friend's house, I could hear the commentary from the television as I quickly walked to his house. And his house was, you know, maybe like you know, maybe three three streets away. And I heard wickets falling. And I think by the time I got to his house, the collapse had happened, and five wickets had fallen in the space of ten minutes. And I think I think Imran had basically taken these five wickets in the space of a few overs, and India I think went from 110 for one to 120 for six or something. It was one of these amazing collapses that he triggered time and again in that series. And you know his I think the the wickets I think that I think the the way that he would dismiss batsmen you know if you if you watch the watch the dismissals you know he got many batsmen bold or LBW uh, you know with you know with deliveries that would be you know, pitch anywhere to a foot or six inches outside the off stump and they would cut back in sharply, you know, to bowl batsmen through the gate, trap them in front. Uh, you know, Mohinder Hamanath, you know, was trapped LBW, you know, he shouldered arms and was trapped in front. Um, Vishwanath shouldered arms and was bowled um, in, in Karachi. Um, you know, Imran induced a similar collapse in Hyderabad. So it was this sort of this irresistible combination where Pakistan were scoring huge amounts of runs because, you know, Zaheer, Miyandar, Mudassar, all these batsmen were just, you know, racking up these huge double centuries and centuries and record partnerships. And India were just getting flogged in the field. And then Imran would just come out and deliver these incredible spells. And India would just, and India suffered these heavy losses in, um, you know, in the, in, in Karachi, Faisalabad and, um, and Hyderabad, um, you know, Gavaskar batted well, Bohinder batted well, uh, but you know they were often caught alone. You know, and uh, you know some of their biggest scores came too late on you know on the wrong occasions to be able to help India. So it was a it was a series in which you know India was I think um, thoroughly outgunned and outplayed by Pakistan in the in the relevant Test matches. You know. Pakistan were a really cohesive unit. They had, you know, they had good, they had a great bowling attack. You know, Imran was at his peak. You know, even, you know, even someone like Abdul Qadir, who was, you know, who was bowling in that series, and he wasn't as incisive against India as, you know, as he was against, say, England or Australia. You know, he still took useful wickets. And, you know... Um, How you was know, the series built up? Was it like uh, today, Pakistan and India, you know, we don't play each other. But if you play, say, in a ODI... Uh, ICC match is going to be Kohli versus Amir or whatever, which was Vaseem versus Sachin. Was it Gavaskar versus Imran uh, leading up to that series? Uh, that's how you remember uh, it? or? Yeah, I would say very much in that series it was Gavaskar versus Imran and uh, Mohinder versus Imran to a certain extent. Uh, you know, I think both of these were viewed as encounters and both of these were viewed as, you know, gates that, you know, Pakistan had to break down in order to, you know, to be able to take down the rest of the side with them. 
and uh, uh, India lost when these batsmen were dismissed. You know, in I think it was in Faisalabad, I think uh, Gavaskar carried his bat in the second innings, uh, but you know that was not enough to uh, you know to prevent a loss. I might have got the venue wrong, but Gavaskar did carry his bat in one innings, uh, but it wasn't enough to prevent a loss for India. Um, so, and I think you know to bring. You know, that lets me also address someone like Mohinda Amarnath, you know, who in that series made a lot of runs against Imran, who was one of India's best players, uh, you know, obviously a huge key player in India's win of the World Cup. But, you know, Mohinda made great runs against fast bowling and he made them in style. He played the hook really well. And, you know, it was ironic because he was someone who in his first incarnation as a batsman had been injured several times as a batsman. You know, he had been, he had been hit by Richard Hadley. In a tour game, he had been knocked out by Rodney Hogg in a test match uh, in 1979. Uh, but, you know, when he made his return to test cricket, he came back wearing a helmet. He made runs against Pakistan. He made runs against West Indies. He played a bit, you know, he played a pair of innings against the West Indies, uh, 91 and 80 at Bridgetown in 1983, which I think are probably, you know, the greatest innings made by a modern Indian batsman in the 1980s against fast bowling. Um and, you know, if you see a couple of the shots that he played in the World Cup final, I mean, those are high-class, high-quality attacking shots played off the world's greatest fast-bowling attack. So, I think for Did one... Did once uh, fell uh, while hooking onto the wickets? Is that... Yeah, that, yeah. that was Mohinder. He fell, uh, he fell hooking on the wicket against Rodney Hogg in 1979. And he was knocked out by Richard Hadley in a tour game uh, that India played in, uh, I think, earlier that season as well. Um, where the Indian cricket team was playing, I think, Northamptonshire or uh, Nottinghamshire, and Hadley hit him on the head with a bouncer. How do you see his career? Because uh, what I remember in the mid to late 80s, when he was kind of on his way out, he was in and out of the side a lot. Do you think, uh, as an Indian fan, when you look back at those times, and he called the selectors a bunch of jokers and whatnot, but do you think he was treated fairly? Of course, the sport evolves. Some of the mistakes and the knee-jerk reactions our boards used to make uh, have been, you know, have, those practices have pretty much uh, gone away. You know, so, how, how do you view his career in hindsight? Yeah, I have forgotten the precise statistical details of his departure from, you know, the international game and his tip for the selectors. But I would say two things. One thing, you know, Mohinder had become a little bit inconsistent, you know, and he was inconsistent towards the end of his career. And I think that's the frustrating aspect of his career because in 1983, he was. I think he showed us a certain species of batting against fast bowling, which in the history of that West Indies fast bowling attack would be reckoned as, you know, the, one of the best performances against them. And yet, you know, in 1980, later after the World Cup, when the West Indies toured India, he scored five ducks in six innings and was, you know, ill or, or you know, out of form. And, you know, he lost his form in other forms of the, you know, the game as well. So I think there's this sense of frustration in kind of seizing up his career because he was a brilliant, brilliant and dedicated and faithful, you know, performer for the Indian international cricket team at, you know, very important part in its in its evolution. Um, and, you know, as a, you know, as a fan of the Delhi Ranji Trophy team, you know, he was a great captain. He was a great batsman for the Delhi Ranji Trophy team. He made possible many famous wins. He scored heavily for the side. Um, he was a loyal, you know, you know, representative for the domestic side and turned out for it whenever he could. So I have a lot of admiration for him as a player. And I only wish that he had been, you know, he had 
probably maybe just perform closer to his true potential in the international game. I mean, um, you know, I think his brother also could have been given a fairer shake by the selectors, uh, Surendra Varnath, who was a very talented left-hand batsman. And, you know, uh, you know, so I think there's a there's a you know there's a little bit of a slightly I think you know some bittersweet feelings when one thinks of Mohinder's career. Very thankful that I saw him at his best in 1983. And, um, you know, thankful for his service in that year because, you know, you know, India's win in the World Cup. Um, but I wish, you know, that he could have had a smoother exit from the game and one sort of more commensurate with his service to the Indian team. Hmm. Yeah, India-Pakistan matches, again, you know, the conditions, at least back in the day, were similar, you know, the, the surfaces uh, that were prepared for test matches. And, you know, it's a neighboring country, so uh, climate-wise also there's no problem. Uh, so, in, in your recollection, uh, there's always talk about pressure this contest brings. So, yeah. you think performing in Pakistan, even though those pitches were not super quick or bouncy wickets against Imran and Sarfraz in those series, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes should be, should be seen in the same light as, say, uh, performing you know, in overcast conditions in England against Willis or Botham or some of the better Australian attacks. How does scoring in Pakistan back in I, Imran's heyday measure up? to you as a fan and a cricket academic? Uh, I think if someone made runs against the Pakistan team in when when India toured in 78 or when India toured in 1982, I mean, I think those runs are gold because, you know, you think of the pressures um, that were, you know, that's that weighs on a batsman. You know, there's obviously the pressures on the field, and I'll get to those in a second. There's the pressures that you carry off the field in terms of playing for the Indian or the Pakistani team. I mean, you know, we should remember that in 78, when India played Pakistan in that series, Pakistan's players were playing for Packer at the time in World Series cricket, and they were engaged in a similar sort of dispute with their boards as other Packer contracted players were. And other boards had banned their players from, you know, playing international representative cricket as long as they were playing for Packer. Pakistan's team, you know, Pakistan's board you know, put aside any such compunctions and they brought back the Pakistani players because they wanted the strongest possible team to be playing against Pakistan, to be playing against India, you know, when when ties would resume. So, you know, the attack they had that year, you know, with you know, with Imran and Safraz, you know, it was a top class fast bowling attack. It was one that, you know, you know, was playing World Series cricket. You know, they had you know, they had cut their teeth against, you know, some of the world's strongest players in the games that were happening down under and you know if you see uh, if you see how indian batsmen did in that series they did reasonably well they scored good runs they and you know clearly that had something to do with the friendliness of the wickets but in the end pakistan did well enough because you know the the pressure of the games was such that you know that exerts its own um, you know that that exerts its own pressure on the batsman out in the middle you know the sense of what the consequence of losing each wicket is you know, your perceived sense of what the consequences are, you know, some of it has to do with the cricketing result and some of it has to do with your sense of how that result will be understood off the field. And I think that adds to the, you know, the pressure and tension of those games. So those, you know, those runs, you know, there was, there's lots of heavy scoring by batsmen on, on, on placid pitches. And I think that, you know, to be perfectly honest, and I think that is something that I think contributes in a way to decline I think in the 
I think in the quality of the rivalry following the 82-83 series, in my mind, the India-Pakistan rivalry was at its peak in the 78 series when Pakistan toured India in 1980 and when India toured Pakistan in 82-83. I think these three series, to my mind, are the peak of that early rivalry. The series that came thereafter, I think they suffer in a certain sense because, you know, there were problems with conditions. There were, you know, the the pitches were worse. The bowling, you know, the bowling attacks really, really struggled. I mean, I think if you think of these series that happened after this, it's a series of draws, one after the other. And series of heavy scores, draws, played in, you know, you know, difficult times of the year. So sometimes, you know, rain would affect the test matches. Uh, you know, uh, Pakistan came to India, I think, in 83, 84. Um uh, you know, with, you know, with Zaheer as the captain, then India went to Pakistan in 84, 85. And that was a tour that was interrupted by Mrs. When there was a one-day international that was going on and that was called off at lunchtime because uh, on 31st October. And, uh, you know, the Indian team came home. And, you know, that entire series had just been a series of high-scoring draws. The series in 83, 84 had been a series of high-scoring draws. And, you know, to be honest, I felt like something had gone wrong with India-Pakistan cricket. I think, like, you know, there was this, I think the boards were becoming a little desperate to just stage a lot of games without doing anything to think about what else would make them interesting and exciting, you know, where they should be staged, when they should be staged. I mean, this is one problem that I've always had with the way that the rivalries understood. People talk about the rivalry a lot, but we have never given the rivalry the prominence that, you know, England and Australia give the ashes in their cricketing rivalry in terms of placing these test matches properly in the cricketing calendar, making them the highlights of the cricketing season, um, you know, you know, staging them around maybe New Year's time, you know, um, telecasting them properly. So I think, and to be honest, I almost felt like India... Pakistan test matches by this time in my mind thanks to these really two very dull series had become associated with a certain kind of you know almost a certain kind of dullness but that was a problem with a lot of the cricket that was played in India in the 1980s because the pitches were slow so that led to a lot of defensive cricket and I think the India-Pakistan cricket you know rivalry suffered accordingly there was a sense of that you know very memorable you know you know, uh, sort of associations with the game, you know, because of the famous, uh, you know, the famous Kirti Azad game that was played at, uh, you know, the Nehru Stadium in the 1980s. And, you know, that was a one-day international game. And that was a, you know, that was played during the 1983-84 series when, you know, when Pakistan were touring with, uh, you know, with Zaheer as captain. And I think that game, more than anything else, did, you know, elevated the India-Pakistan rivalry and kept it, foremost in people's minds. And then I think, of, and then of course, you know, the Sharjah rivalry kicked in and these one-day international, you know, games started happening in Sharjah. And, you know, those were telecast live as well. And, you know, that acquired a certain kind of, you know, um, glamour in the Indian context. And then of course, India's one-day team had become very strong. So, you know, India beat Pakistan in the final of the, you know, the uh, in the World Series Championship in 1985. You know, that was played at the MCG. So I think I think the India-Pakistan rivalry, I think from that time onwards, moved from test cricket, I think in people's minds, to become coming this contestation that was taking place in the one-day game 
And India was off to a strong start, you know, in the early years. India used to beat Pakistan a lot in the one-day game. Yeah, uh, definitely. We'll get to that point. I mean, yeah, that was a plan for the Sharjah. Uh, yeah. India dominance and then that six that changed everything. But before we go that, I mean, I want your view on some of the rivalries, the big mm-hmm. rivalry of that phase. Uh, uh, how do you encapsulate the Imran-Gavaskar battle? I remember when Pakistan came to India and Jaipur was launched as a test venue, Imran got Gavaskar on the first ball and Doordarshan had, I think, a Rukawat Kile Khed, you know, sorry for interruption moment. And that <laughs> dismissal was never captured. When play resumed, Gavaskar was walking back and he was my favorite player growing up. So how do you remember those test battles and uh, who has the edge? Because we always talk about at fan level Sachin Magra and, you know, at the peak, Basim really didn't go head to head with Sachin. So how does Gavaskar Imran stand up, uh, stand out for you? And then secondly, how does Kapil and Mia that stand out to you? Well, uh, if you look at Gavaskar Imran in the series that they played, I think the overall record is a fairly respectable one for both the players in it. Um, keeping in mind that Imran in a couple of series, um, you know, wasn't playing or playing at his best. He certainly wasn't playing at his best in the 1980 series when, you know, in fact, he missed a couple of test matches due to stress fractures in the back. But in you know in uh, in Imran's uh, in Imran and Gavaskar's first encounter in the 1978 uh, series, uh, Gavaskar scored a pair of centuries at in the Karachi Test match and the third Test match. He scored 111 in the first innings and 137 in the second innings. Uh, he made he made 89 in the first Test match. He made a 90 in the second Test match. So you know he was a heavy scorer throughout. You know, he, you know, not heavily enough to influence the result, but he had a very respectable showing. In the 1982-83 series, you know, he had a couple of crucial failures, but he had a couple of other centuries. He carried his bat, you know, which is, you know, always a very notable achievement. Um, he made runs in the 1986 series again. And, of course, you know, as everybody knows, in the Bangalore Test match that Pakistan beat India in, um, it was Gavaskar's dismissal for 96, which was the crucial Test match, uh, you know, the crucial wicket, in fact, that Pakistan needed to take. So I think Gavaskar's, you know, record, I mean, I think someone can correct me on the statistics. I think there were moments of ascendancy that Imran established over Gavaskar. And I think those were most crucially took place in the 82-83 series. And I think those were because of, you know, crucial wickets at crucial times. Um, But I think, you know, Gavaskar's overall statistical record against Imran is respectable. And I think, you know, even someone like Imran would acknowledge it because, you know, he found Gavaskar a hard nut to crack on many occasions. Um, and, you know, Imran and Mohinder in that series were the two batsmen who seemed capable of facing, uh, you know, uh, uh, Imran at his best. Uh, and like I said, if you have, uh, you know, highlight films of those periods and you can see Imran bowling to Gavaskar and, you know, seeing Imran playing that attack in general, I think that's a very good example of seeing, you know, top class batting, um, you know, often being done in by top class fast bowling as well. And the second part of the question, which I want to rephrase, is uh, the other big rivalry is Kapil Dev versus Javed Miyadad. Uh, this did not get the same billing as the the other yeah. two, but I think I, they were right there in the mix. Yeah, I think Kapil's, uh, you know, the Kot Kirmani Bol Kapil Dev combination was something which wreaked a lot of damage on Pakistan in the 1980 series. You know, Kapil Dev took a lot of wickets. Kapil Dev was the reason why India won the Bombay Test match. He scored a lot, scored a bunch of runs. He took a bunch of wickets. Um, so he had a great time against Pakistan in that series. 
Um, when he went in the 1982-83 series to Pakistan, you know, Kapil conceded a lot of runs, but he also took a lot of wickets. And I think that's something that Kapil had to do, which I think, you know, was just this, you know, this unfortunate role that he had to often play, which is that he had to bowl a lot of overs because very often he was the one man who could maintain control, who could bowl line and length, who could, uh, you know, not just get carted all over the field, um, you know, who could keep things tight. So Imran, I mean, you know, so Kapil bowled a lot of overs. He took a lot of wickets. I think that often blunted his edge. But I think in 1980, you know, you could, I think, justifiably point to him as being one of the reasons why India won the series. And I think in 1982-83, I think you would have to say that Kapil definitely bore in many ways the brunt of the Pakistani heavy scoring in that series just because he was bowling so many overs as he was. You know, as far as Kapil Dev and Javed Miandad, uh, you know, as a particular head-to-head rivalry is concerned, you're right. You know, it, it's not a rivalry that people talk about as much, I think, just because it, you know, wasn't as highlighted in quite the ways that, you know, the Imran rivalry was. But I think that's just because Imran's, you know, profile as a player. I think almost everything that Javed did, um, you know, occupied a certain sort of lower visibility than any of Imran's feats on a cricket field. No, well said. So let's uh, talk about Miyadad now, the game changer again. One of the most painful memory for me and my generation was that six. I still remember. I didn't watch the six. I'm close eyes and I'm praying. You know, like right, you right. Know, India somehow wins that match. That was quite the match. And up to that point, India had dominated Pakistan in ODIs, even in Sharjah. That yeah. that match just changed everything. And prior to that innings, Gavaskar and Srikanth had a very decent start in India's innings and you know Vaseem Akram was just you know coming into his own and uh, talk about that 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 match that single shot that changed this rivalry at least in the ODI field we didn't play too many tests after that but the ODI effect lingered on for at least if not maybe 10 12 maybe more matches in Sharjah right uh well I think uh one thing that's worth remembering around about that shot is that Pakistan did not need a six to win Pakistan needed uh, four runs to win, three runs would have tied the test match. They needed a, a boundary. And uh, Javed, of course, got this full toss on his on his legs, which he smashed over, uh, you know, deep backward square leg. Uh, you're right. It The results between India and Pakistan changed after that. And, you know, I think it's this kind of, you know, the, you know part of the cricketing mythology of the time that, you know, this established some sort of psychological ascendancy over India. But I think really what happened after that was that Pakistan's team was just stronger for a very long time. I think Pakistan's team well into the 1990s was stronger than India's. They had a stronger fast bowling attack. They often had a more consistent batting lineup. You know, in you know in the 90s, they had, you know, people like Saeed Anwar and Inzamam al-Haq and these guys. And so I think Pakistan just had a stronger team. But, you know, um, Pakistan's fortunes started to, you know, swing around after that. You know, they got, you know, they had Wasim and Wakar after that in the late 80s and by the 90s they had their you know I think one of the strongest was was gelling in place right around 89, 90, 90 and I think from 1990 onwards I think they had a very very strong team and I think they you know they did well against all sides not just against India um, so I think India's India's decline against Pakistan such as as it is has some very good cricketing reasons for you know it which is that Pakistan had better batsmen, better bowlers, and they, you know, very often just, you know, were able to play better than India on the occasion, you know, when, you know, when it was called for. 
And even some of the players, if you remember, again, Salim Malik was definitely a decent player, but uh, there were a lot of players like Manzoor Ilahi, Ijaz Ahmed. And yeah. those matches, especially the ODI matches, even in the 86-87 series with Pakistan, I believe won 5-1 and India won the only match because Azhar ran Kadir out in Hyderabad. But yeah. those matches, I mean, India would compete and yeah. Pakistan was more talented, but then Pakistan would dig themselves a hole and then somehow come out of it, be it Malik yeah. 72 in Calcutta, Manzoor Ilahi's cameo, or even uh, Imran would call upon retired players like Yunus Ahmed or Ejaz Faki. I mean, it was just like... Uh, Very hard to believe what was unfolding. Again, you know, my figures may not be correct, but do you recall those events similarly the way I do? No, I think you've got the details of that 86 season, uh, you know, down pat, the 86-87 season, you know, because we had a bunch of draws in the test matches, but Pakistan won the one-day series 5-1. And, you know, whether they were batting first or whether they were batting second, they, you know, found a way to win somehow or the other. And I remember, you know, when, you know, there was this... You know, very straightforward cricketing common sense that Pakistan used to use in their batting that days, you know, which was to, you know, bat with reasonable caution in the early overs and then try and, you know, speed up towards the end. Imran was a very big, uh, you know, exponent of that himself. You know, he would have very solid defense in the early parts of his innings and then he would try and really open out as the as the innings would progress. Um and, you know, there was a real, I think there was a real solid cricketing common sense that Imran employed in playing the one-day games um, and in the test matches. Uh, you know, he, you know, I think he tried to be as, as attacking a player or as attacking the captain as he could, given his limitations in that series. But as you're right, uh, you know, many players who were not as notable, you know, they stood up and they performed. And they, um, and, you know, at the end, it was the unglamorous spin uh, pair that won Pakistan that test match at Bangalore, you know, not, you know, not the fast bowling attack, though the fast bowling attack did some damage to the first innings. Okay, so a couple more on Imran, because uh, this is just prompted by your response. So in your recollection, did you see Imran as a leader or as a captain? I know in cricketing terminology, this people can describe captaincy in two different ways. Uh, compared to other great captains of his era, like a border, uh, how would you measure Imran's captaincy? Was it quite unorthodox? Did others have the same leverage he had? I mean, because he was doing things that others were not doing. But again, they were not by the book. So, you know, uh, it's, it, that's an interesting question. You know, uh, in, in writing and talking of cricket, obviously we, you know, mythologize captaincy a great deal. And that um, tendency is no less evident in the way that people tend to write about Imran. And when Imran did become the captain in 1982, it followed on the heels of a player revolt against Javid Miyandat, who had been captain. So there was, you know, factionalism present with the Pakistan team at that time. And so the immediate impression of Imran was that, well, of course, he sort of, you know, brought this, you know, disparate bickering band of cricketers together and, you know, made them perform really well. You know, they lost narrowly in England, uh, you know, 1-2 uh, in 1982. So, uh and they beat Australia heavily, and then they beat India heavily. And, you know, I remember Imran being interviewed on Pakistani television, and somebody asked him, and, you know, they said, well, you know, Imran, you know, it's clear that you've brought such great positive team spirit to the team. And and Imran, you know, to his credit, he, you know, he's, you know, he kind of had this deflationary response. He said, you know, and I'm kind of translating from, you know, from the Urdu. He says, you know, what can I say? You know, when the team is winning games, um, everybody says there's positive team spirit. When the team is losing games, everybody says there's negative team spirit. 
And, you know, he had this kind of, like, wry look on his face, which is like, you know, of course we're winning games. You know, people are going to think that, you know, everything is hunky-dory. And I think there was something to that, which is, I think, A, he was, he definitely did, you know, exemplify the cliche of leading by example, which is that he, he bowled really well. He tried to bat with a solid defense and not just throw his bat around like a typical tail ender. So he, I think, set a good example for lower order batsmen, which is to bat with diligence. And I think that contributed to, you know, a lot of the Pakistani resilience at that time was sparked by, you know, you know, by lower order battles, by, you know, wicket keepers and all rounders and numbers 9, 10 and 11 sticking it out and, you know, scraping together vital runs. And, you know, a lot of that was, you know, some of that was, I think, you know, this, this impression that Imran gave that he was going to set a high price on his wicket. And he, he, you know, he was not the most graceful of fielders and he wasn't, you know, the most athletic of fielders, but he, you know, he was, he ran hard. He tried his best. And, um, I think he was a, you know, he set the example in the field as well. So I think when you ask whether he was a leader or a captain, I think he was, uh, he set a great example. He was exemplary in performance. I think where he was an outstanding tactician in my mind was that I think he was a very aggressive captain when it came to his field placings and to his to his understanding of how he wanted to drive the game. Um, you always got the sense with him that he was thinking about what can I do from this point onwards to win a particular game. And, you know, if, if there's a bowler bowling, what represents wicket-taking opportunities with this bowler that I can try and exploit as I'm his captain? You know, if you look at the fields that Imran would set for his spinners in the 1982 series against England. I mean, they're just dramatically attacking fields. Um, and they're all about thinking, well, I've got this bowler and I'm going to tell him that he's a wicket-taking option and I'm going to treat him like a wicket-taking option and I'm going to make him think that he's a wicket-taking option. And I think that definitely had an effect on the players that played with him. That you know, He would say, like, all right, you know, I'll give you three slips and two gullies, you know. Because I think you can take wickets with that, you know, with that kind of field. Sure. So again, you, know, you added uh, and brought, brought back a lot of those memories, and uh, of course, uh, our knowledge uh, back then as young boys was quite different. We would read Indian Express or the Hindu the next morning after having watched uh, the day's play with Narutampuri and some of those guys in the box. The commentary wasn't as international as it is today. It was only Indians and Pakistanis, you know, calling calling those games. So uh, the the other thing that, uh, which is again a narrative that didn't escape the Indian circles, you know, in our friend circle was uh, we always were envious of how Pakistan was winning some of those ODI matches and they were, their killer instinct was talked about. But then the difference was we saw some of the Indian players, you know, great in their right. But we would think we're just not measuring up with the same intensity and of course, it's going to change the next decade when we talk about Sachin and all those other guys. But at that time, do you think the team was uh, scarred by that six, or you think it's just the way how how different the two teams were in in the approach, say in ODIs? We had some young blood too, like Azhar and Shastri were there, and every now and then we would get a Prabhakar in there in the mix. But measure up, uh, you know, the the young players, the two sides, and did you feel the same approach, uh, maybe lacking from India's point? I mean, not for lack of trying, but it just something was missing in those games. Yeah, I think, you know, the inconsistency and the results that you see in India's games against Pakistan is reflected in India's results elsewhere. I mean, India were an inconsistent team, 
they were inconsistent in their batting quality and their bowling quality their selection was inconsistent so very often you know i mean if you you know i mean if you look at the number of players who made debuts for india who came and went and you know you would think you had a stable middle order but then you wouldn't and so india did poorly against pakistan because they were doing you know they had the same sort of inconsistent spotty record that we had in the 1990s where we would do really well at home in test matches and we would do poorly away and in one day internationals we had this kind of record that saw us you know um you know we didn't qualify for the knockout games in the 9192 world cup um in the 96 world cup we made it to the semi final and crashed out against sri lanka um same thing happened in the 99 world cup you know we didn't qualify for the knockout round so i think india struggled to find winning combinations in the 90s and it's amazing because that was the period when the game blew up it became huge it became you know sachin led the one day international revolution you know i mean the 90s were sachin's decade you know uh but it took a long time for that i think for india's fortunes to really start to gel and i think that really happened in the year 2000 when i think when you know ganguly's new generation of you know the indian cricket team or the new incarnation of the indian cricket team started so i think the 90s were or from 87 onwards were you know really a time of i think inconsistent performance lots of brilliance on occasion here and there i mean and you know india's grand four you know you know ganguly made his debut in 96 dravid uh, made his debut in 96 uh, you know lakshman made his debut uh, you know this you know this this batting lineup was getting established we had some good fast bowling attacks but never quite as um, you know i think pakistan had the edge on us on various occasions but um, on many occasions it was only in the late 90s that i think that india started to address some of as you know uh, some of those differentials in the games of pakistan uh, so yeah we closing up on the hour so let's wrap this conversation up and we definitely may need another episode because india pakistan can't be summed up in 50 minutes and we've covered few yeah. series and some of the great battles so uh, again going back to the 78 series this is the question uh, we had uh, mm-hmm. your recollection uh, how do you rate bishan vedi's captaincy in that series because of uh, again a historian friend of mine thinks that vedi uh, was uh, too aggressive had he been defensive in his mode of approach we could have saved a faslabad or some odd test i don't know if my question makes sense do you do you remember well, that I series think, uh, the the question is referring to the third test match because if you remember in both the second and the third test match pakistan had to chase runs to win in the final hour of the game and in those days you know the so called 20 mandatory overs had to be bowled uh, and obviously you know bowling those 20 overs would take you more than an hour but the idea was that at a certain time umpires would say okay from now on these 20 overs are going to be bowled and that's it that's the end of the test match and pakistan won in each occasion taking the game late into the 20 mandatory overs i think in the first i think in the lahore test they won with five or six overs to spare and in the second and the third test match they won with maybe one over to spare so one obvious critique that will happen of any fielding captain who loses to a batting side that scores quick runs against you is that you know people will fault his bowling selection his field placings you know did he attack enough did he defend enough did he pressure them enough did he do xyz enough and i think in bishan's case he made the fatal mistake of bringing himself on to bowl when imran khan had been sent in as a pinch hitter 
uh, in the third test match. And Imran hit him for two sixes in that over. And, you know, Vishen Singh Bedi gave up 17 runs. And that was it. You know, if if the run chase had been tight till that point, all of a sudden it wasn't tight. I mean, when you score 17 runs in an over in a tight, you know, run chase situation, you are, you know, it was the over that cost, you know, as people said that time, you know, well, that over cost Vishen his captaincy because, you know, his bowlers had managed to keep the game close and maybe India would have drawn the test match. But, you know, India would have drawn the test match. They would have still lost the series 1-0. The margin would have been, you know, maybe made a little bit softer. Uh, but, you know, uh, you know, people thought that, you know, Bailey was maybe playing with too much of a nice guy attitude. You know, maybe his field should have been more negative. Maybe he should have. But, you know, India just in field as well. And the Pakistani batting was very aggressive. And they rattled the Indian fielders. You know, there were overthrows and misfields and... Uh, you know, that's what happens when batsmen are taking runs quickly. So, yeah, you could have faulted his captaincy. But I think, you know, I think any other Indian captain, I think, on that day would have also been rattled by the Pakistani batsmen. You know, it was a close test match. It might have gone India's way. But, you know, it wasn't because India's captaincy was super incompetent or anything like that. Okay, Samir, thank you very much. I think uh, we covered quite a lot. And as expected, you know, uh, I learned a lot of things uh, that... You know, I, I, that I was not privy uh, how India-Pakistan rivalry had unfolded thanks to you. Now, hopefully the listeners will enjoy this conversation. I have to request you to come back again because half the story has to be told. We only covered Pakistan's domination. It's only fitting if uh, we can find time to do one more episode where we can yeah. talk about Sachin's test in Chennai, Shoaib Akhtar, and so many other players who joined this, you know, this big rivalry. That's uh, right. And, of course, the modern incarnation with uh, Kohli as well. Absolutely. So on that note, uh, let's wrap the show up. Thank you, Samir Chopra. It was an absolute pleasure. And let's continue this conversation in another episode of Cricket with an Accent. Thanks very much for having me on, Sakib. And I look forward to seeing you here and uh, talking more to you about cricket. Thank you. Thank you.